0: Love Talk Radio.
1: Wealthy Sisters is on the air. Wealthy Sisters, the show that features six and seven figure earning women of color. Tune in Mondays at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time as entrepreneur, author, speaker, Deborah Hartnett showcases the triumphant journey of these powerful sisters. You'll be inspired, encouraged, and informed every Monday at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time. Our call in number is 347 838 92784. Listen live 24 hours a day at www.wealthysisters.com. Now, our host, Deborah Hardnett. Well,
2: hello and welcome to Wealthy Sisters, sponsored by the professional black woman. You can visit us at www.thepbw.com. Wealthy Sisters is where we celebrate the lives of six- and seven-figure-earning women of color, and our purpose is twofold. First, love to inspire and encourage you, the listener, and second, we want to edify, promote, acknowledge, and say thank you to the sisters for doing big things. I'm Deborah Hartnett, your host, broadcasting live on the Worldwide Blog Talk Network, and today happens to be another great Monday, April the 4th, 2011, and I hope you are as excited about your future as I am, because trust me, it is very bright. Now, you know, we are here every week at the same time that's Monday 12 noon Eastern so spread the word now today happens to be a day that has marked in history as an important day in our our whole world uh, it was just 43 years ago a young man at the age of young age of 39 years gave the ultimate sacrifice So that all of us, no matter what race, gender, creed, could experience the liberties that we are experiencing today. Now, if you haven't figured out who that gentleman was or who I'm referring to, I'm referring to none other than Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Yes, today in 1968 at the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, Tennessee, his physical life was taken but we know his spirit and his life and legacy lives on in all of us today. Did you ever imagine, Just that was just a few years ago, you ever wonder how such a, a movement that changed the world that people have been able to use for their causes today? Have you ever wondered how it got started or ever wondered behind the scenes the conversations they had with family and, and their children? Well, today our very special guest had an incredibly close view She is none other than acclaimed actress and author, the phenomenal Donzelay Abernathy. She's the daughter of Mrs. Juanita Abernathy and the late Reverend Dr. Ralph David Abernathy, who's the co-pioneer and the best friend to Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. So today's show, as we say, is going to be another powerful uh, show and we want you right now to go and call everybody. We need you to tweet them, Facebook them, and let them know the dial three four seven eight three eight nine two seven eight because this is a show that you do not want to miss. Also, remember you can always listen to us live and twenty four seven. At www.wealthysistas that's s i s t a s dot com that's www.wealthysistas dot com. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook as well, and also you can follow us here on the show page, and we are also available on iTunes as well. Now, as I said, we have none other than the phenomenal Miss Dondielle Abernathy got to hear her powerful bio. She starred for four years as a series regular on the Lifetime television critically acclaimed dramatic series Any Day Now. She received critical acclaim from film critic Roger Ebert for her performance in Gods and Generals for Warner Brothers. She also starred in the new line cinemas comedy Grilled and Lionsgate comedy Leprechaun 6 6- Back to the Hood, she was the leading lady in HBO's award-winning film, Don King, Only in America, that was just on a few weeks ago, and also NBC's award-nominated, The Temptress, opposite of Peter Fonda, also HBO's award-winning, Miss Ever's Boys, and the Director's Guild of America award-winning, Murder in Mississippi. She attended all the major civil rights marches and integrated the elementary schools in the South, and because Abernathy Home was, preferred, was the preferred meeting place for Dr. King and Dr. Abernathy, Dunsley had a myopic view into the integral decision-making process that helped to shape American laws and society by the creation of a civil rights bill, the Public Accommodations Act, and the Voting Rights Act. To honor her parents in their lives growing up with the King family, Miss Abernathy authored the history book Partners to History of Martin Luther King and Ralph David Abernathy and the Civil Rights Movement, and this was published by Random House. She's also uh, the founder of several organizations, and without any further delay, we're going to take a quick break, come right back, and hear from none other than Miss Donzelae Abernathy. Stay tuned. Business leaders, are you ready to soar? Success is not defined by your wings, but by your courage to leap from the cliff's edge and fly. With Fortune 500 expertise, The Baby Group partners with creative and motivated leaders, weaving structure and innovation for maximum business success. Visit us at TheBabyGroup.com. That's T H E B A T I E group.com. Or call The Baby Group at 877 264 7699. This segment is sponsored by willdrake.com. That's www.willdraike.com. The hot new suspense novel, Bad and Worse, A Tale of Men, published by Carmel co Publishing. Sometimes the only way to stop a killer is to love him. Available in stores November 2009. Well, hello. Yes, we are live and back. On Wealthy Sisters, I'm Deborah Hartnett, your host, and our very special guest today is acclaimed actress and author, Miss Donzellay Abernathy. We are going to be commemorating a special day today, also talking about her powerful career as well. I'm telling you, it is such an honor to welcome to the show, the dynamic, Ms. Donzellay Abernathy. Hello, Donzellay, Welcome.
3: Hi, Deborah. How are you?
2: Oh, wow. I am so excited today. This is a great day. Thank you for being here.
3: It's a pleasure. Um, It's a really important day in my life, and it's an important day in American history. So thank you so much for uh, letting me join you this morning.
2: Well, you know, I, I just really want to say to you when when I called, um, I, you know, being a, a child and growing up um, under your father's leadership in West Hunter Street Baptist Church, and and always seeing you and admiring you and your family and your sisters and your brothers, and and it's just it was just an honor that I was able uh-huh. to connect with you and uh, to, uh-huh. to have you come on the show, and I am just so grateful. You know, that you, you. you suggested this date and and for us to really take this time to pause and really, really talk about where we are today and just, you know, the memories that you have and, and just sharing the powerful insight that can help us all today. So well, thank you again. Well, thank, thank you, please, uh,
3: for uh, inviting me to be on the show, you know, Wealthy Sisters. Um, I'm wealthy in spirit I'm wealthy because of my dad and my mom yeah. and Uncle Martin and his life and how they transitioned our lives, you know, to make us so, create a world that we can live in quite freely, you know, yes. without segregation. So, yeah, And today's the best date. I figured that we should talk because um, I really have something to talk about when it comes to uh, the history of the Civil Rights Movement, the history of, uh, of the... The path of black people in America Which is pivotal to where we are today With Barack Obama mm-hmm. being in the White House And being uh, our president
2: So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I know, um, like we said in your bio Your view was right there I mean, on the knees <laughs> of your father And as you affectionately call um, him Dr. Mar Well, Uncle Marty tell us when and how did um, Reverend Abernathy meet uh Dr. and you know Dr. King
3: Well um well how it all started was my father um attended Alabama State University mm-hmm. where he got a, a bachelor of science degree and when he completed Alabama State he went to Atlanta University to get his master's degree in sociology and uh while he was there uh, he met Reverend King Sr., and Reverend King Sr. had actually come over to ITC to speak to ministers, where my dad was also, you know, at ITC as well. And uh, he invited the ministers to come hear his son preach his trial sermon at the end at, at Ebenezer Baptist Church. And at the end of the service, um, you know, Martin had preached this really great sermon. So my dad, you know, went over to speak to Martin and. Tell him what a great job he did, you know, how the the pastors do at the end of the service. And then mm-hmm. they went their separate ways. And a few weeks later, my dad had a date with a young lady, and he called the young lady to finalize their plans. And she said actually that, you know, she had a cold and she wanted to have a rain check and perhaps they could meet another time. So my dad said okay, but he decided he was going to go ahead with the plans that he had without the young lady and that was to go to a concert at Spelman College in Atlanta at Sister's Chapel. So he arrived early to Sister's Chapel, and under this big, huge tree, this huge oak tree in front of Sister's Chapel, he saw Martin Luther King, so he walked over to speak to him about the service and what Mm -hmm. he had to say, and lo and behold, there was this young lady who had stood my father up on this date, you know, to pretend that she had this cold because she actually wanted to go on the date with Martin Luther King.
1: <laughs> so,
3: uh, yeah. So the guys, um, a friendship was born. Was born out of that. And then uh-huh. basically they went their separate ways because my father graduated and then went back to Montgomery. And so there he was in Montgomery, and he was the pastor of First Baptist Church, which is the largest black church in Montgomery. And Dr. Vernon Johns, the pastor of Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, had been kicked out of Dexter Avenue because of a political controversy. And the Dexter Avenue people didn't want controversy because they were right there in the shadow of the state capitol and in the shadow of the um, White House of the Confederacy, which had been the home of Jefferson Davis. And they were very, pretty much afraid. So they Mm -hmm. asked Dr. Johns to leave because they thought he was too much of a revolutionary to be the pastor of their church because for fear, you know, at that point black people lived in so much fear, especially in Montgomery and in in Alabama and Mississippi. And so what happened was um, Dr. Johns found out that Martin Luther King was going to be preaching his trial sermon at Dexter Avenue, so he hitched a ride He sent my father a note saying, could he preach at my dad's church on that particular Sunday? And my dad said, sure. And um, Dr. Johns hitched a ride with Martin Luther King from Atlanta, Georgia, to Montgomery, and they stopped at my parents' house that night. And when Dr. Johns walked up the walk, my dad was so happy to see him because it was a rainy day and it was late. Mm -hmm. Dr. Johns had arrived late, but he saw this little figure coming up the walk with him. And when Uncle Martin got into the light, he knew exactly who he was, and he was so happy because they were reunited from school. And Dr. Johns invited uh, Martin Luther King to come into my parents' home that night, and they sat down and they broke bread. And for the first time, Uncle Martin got a chance to hear my dad and Dr. Johns talk about the cl- the crises that was facing black people in Montgomery, Alabama. So they sat down, they broke bread, They went their separate ways, but the following morning, my dad had a radio show. He was the first black man on the radio in Montgomery, Alabama. Well, the first black man probably in Alabama. (laughs) And at the close of his religious radio show, Martin called because he had heard him that morning. And they both got down on their knees in their separate locations via the telephone and prayed together to get Uncle Martin all ready so that he would deliver this prolific speech and would get okay. the pastorate of Dexter Avenue, and that's exactly what he did. And then um, that's when everything basically came together. You know, it was the days of segregation. One night my mother would cook, one night Uncle Retta would cook, and they'd go back and forth. And then Yolo- my sister was born, and then Yolanda was born. I think my first brother was born and died, Ralph David Abernathy, Jr. Mm-hmm. He was born, he died. Then Wandlin came, then Yolanda came. And then uh, Rosa Parks was arrested, and Rosa was just the secretary at the local uh, NAACP, and my dad worked at the local NAACP. Uh, he was the second man under E.D. Nixon, who was the head guy, and he was a Pullman porter, and he went out of town. He said, Ralph, we got to do something. So my dad went around organizing the ministers. He went and spoke to the black ministers, and he said, we need to do something and organize. And Joanne Robinson who was a professor at that time with my dad, because my dad had returned from Atlanta to Montgomery, but he'd also returned to his alma mater, which was Alabama State, and he became a professor there in mathematics. So he and Joanne Robinson, another professor at Alabama State, took the flyers uh, that Joanne Robinson's group, the Women's Political Committee, had run off asking all black people to stay off of the buses for one day, which was December 5th. Mm. And they passed out to the school children And then the children passed to their parents And one thing led to another And that first morning uh, Early that morning of the of December 5th Uncle Maiden came over to my mother's house Because my mother and father's house Because the bus would round their house They lived 1327 South Hall Street The King family lived on um, Jackson Street So they stopped Uncle Maiden came to our house first and sure enough, when the bus rounded the corner, normally that morning it would have been loaded with black ladies who would be the housekeepers for the white women in Montgomery. Well, when that bus went around that corner, there wasn't a soul on that bus. And my mother said that she let out a scream of joy. And Dad and wow. Uncle was so happy. That's when they then got their clothes together and went straight down to the courthouse to see what was happening with Rosa. And they got there a little late, and they couldn't get in. But thankfully, um, well, they found her guilty, and, um, you know, that's when the bus boycott actually legitimately started. And um, Dad and Uncle Martin had started something that would uh, transcend the path of black people in American history, as well as transcend American history as we would know it. And I would... Eventually meet Uncle Martin Mother got pregnant with me Uh It was 1957 And they were trying to create The Southern Christian Leadership Conference Because Montgomery had been great And prolific right And they were very successful It was a 381 day boycott So dad and Uncle Retta And Uncle Maude decided to go to Atlanta to create the new organization, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. They were going to stay at Granddaddy King's house because, like I said again, these were the days of segregation. There weren't any hotels for black people to stay in except for maybe Pascals, And they didn't have the money to afford to stay at Pascals. Right. So what they did was they stayed at Daddy King's house. My mother stayed in Atlanta and Montgomery behind with my sister, and she wasn't feeling well because she was pregnant. And she said she was watching uh, the Jack Parr show, which was the first, you know, the Tonight Show. And she said the angels awakened her because she got up and she went into the bedroom. And 15 minutes later, a bomb went off in our living room and everything exploded. And I was in my mother's womb. I just know that my mother, my sister, awakened that following morning singing like an angel. The police had come. They bombed my father's church that night. They bombed Bell Street, Mount Olive, and the home of Reverend Robert Gratz, who was a white pastor of an all-black church. You know, they didn't want black and white people to be together. Anyway, my mother got on the phone, called Daddy at Granddaddy King's house, and Daddy and Uncle Martin got on their knees and prayed. And in his book, Strength to Love, he said, with Ralph's home and church, bombed there was nothing we could do but get on our knees and pray to God to give us the strength to carry on so they left atlanta that morning left ancleta me... to conduct the first meeting of the southern christian leadership conference and went back to montgomery you were now, let, let me let me
2: yeah let me ask you cuz i mean this is just this is just incredible history and and i think about um of course, I think about, when I think of Reverend Abernathy, Dr. Reverend Abernathy, I think of the age that I was, of course, so the age that he was. So he was much older um, than the movement because um, I was born in 69. So, But I, I have to remember, I mean, with Dr. King being 39 at the day, you know, today when his life was taken, how old were they when they actually They were in their 20s. They, they were in their, in their 20s. 20s. And isn't that amazing yeah. when you think about, you know, where we are or what what we may have been doing or some of the things, how at that age they were able to affect change so, um, you know, so Well, powerful. I have to say,
3: honestly, Deborah, a change that has come about has always come from younger people as opposed to older people because the mm-hmm. young ones had nothing to lose. Daddy right. and my had nothing to lose. I mean, you imagine they're 25 and 27 years of age. I mean, what is right. there? You've got nothing. You've just got a wife and and a kid. You don't you don't know right. enough to be fearful. Right. And they were innocent. And they were very idealistic. And they followed. You know, they're like so many young people. They have big dreams, and failure just was never an option. My dad never taught us about. You know, you know. people talk about, you know, that you've got a plan A and a plan B and you mm-hmm. need something to fall mm-hmm. back on. My dad always mm-hmm. used to say to us, well, if you have something to fall back on, that's what you'll end up doing. You don't need anything mm-hmm. to fall back on. Just go for it and mm-hmm. keep going and go and put everything out there, and you have to ser- sincerely believe. Anyway, my dad always believed that he was going to be free, and Uncle Man believed that they were doing God's will. They were doing that which was right, and there were these, Very established African Americans Who always thought that they were wrong Who thought that they were risking too much Because those people were complacent And you know when you get to be 30 and 40 and 50 You're complacent But when you're young and you're 20 You are, right.
2: you're right
3: You are out there And and, um, when I speak about Birmingham I'll let you know It was the children that were the facilitators of change And when they decided... um, they took those flyers, my dad and Joanne Robinson, about the Montgomery bus boycott. They passed them out to the school children who gave it to their mothers. One little <laughs> child gave it to her mother who then took it to the lady who she worked for and said, Ma'am, I'm asking you, can I have December 5th off? They've asked us to stay off of the buses. Well, the white lady saw the flyer and was like, oh, my God, let me take this to the newspaper. Did you see what these Negroes are trying to do? Well, what they mm-hmm. did at that point was the Montgomery Advertiser decided to run a full-page ad alerting the white people to what the black people were trying to do, making the assumption that black people would be so ignorant. Had already we organized. <laughs>
0: right. Well, no, they were
3: making the assumption that black people were so ignorant we weren't going to pick up the newspaper and read it because they thought, right, well, right. if you put it in the newspaper, the black people aren't going to read. You know, right, reading was right. something that at that point – We were, they were, they were controlling our education. They were controlling our uh, ability to, you know, what we could and could not read. And Mm -hmm. so by putting it in the paper, however, everybody black saw it. And that's when they knew then to stay off of the buses, the people that didn't go to the church, because we were only organized through churches right mm-hmm. but those were just the women who filled the churches the majority of black men did not go to churches they had to go get the men out of the pool halls or go to the barber shops to get the men the mm-hmm. women when you look at the historic photographs of the mass meetings you will see seven out of every 10 people will be female not male
0: mm-hmm. and
3: that's the reality of what happened back then and so um Anyway, what I wanted to say about Daddy and Uncle Martin, well, they had gone on to Atlanta. My mother was left behind, and our home was bombed. They came back to Montgomery, and I was born very shortly thereafter. When I came out of my mother's womb, I literally was a baby that just shook.
0: Mm. I
3: had been traumatized. I had gone, you know, in vitro you feel all of those things, and I felt all of those things, so I came out of my mother. Very traumatized and shaking, and every time I would get in a stressful situation as a little girl, I would literally shake. And Uncle Mod blessed me as a baby, um, and I knew him. I mean, I just, I just knew him. He knew me before I knew myself, and we mm-hmm. saw them every Sunday, and then we saw them, you know, every uh, Saturday. And then I remember we Uncle Martin moved to Atlanta and left us in uh, Alabama and Montgomery. And I just remember my sister and I begging my father, could we take that train ride to Atlanta with him so that we could see Yoki? Because for us, my sister and I, it was about being with Yolanda, Uncle Martin's right. old daughter, the
1: who was my sister's daughter. best yeah. friend
3: until she yeah. died. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, Uncle Martin was just a subset Because for us, it was just being around Yoki, because, my God, when we were around Yoki, we could go through all of Uncle Maiden's stuff. You know, we could go through everything. We could just be little children. And because they were very lenient as parents, they were never strict. They were very lenient, and they would talk to you and very compassionate. Nonviolence was not rhetoric. Nonviolence was a way of life. You know, my dad and Uncle Maiden never hit us, never raised their voices. If they needed Mm -hmm. us to do something, they would explain it to us so that we understood Mm -hmm. the importance so we would willingly do what we needed to do. You know, I would willingly make up my bed because my father showed me when he was in the military, they showed him how to make up a bed, and the first thing he did was get out of that bed and make up that bed. So to this day, I get out of my bed and I make up my bed before I go beyond my bedroom. Mm You know, And Mm -hmm. and these were things because you wanted to... Be just like them. You wanted to, you know, emulate them, and um, that's how uh, our lives began. Uh, did you at but, that
2: time? I guess uh, at your that age, or should I ask you what age did you realize the magnitude, or was it until when you got older you realized the magnitude of what you were experiencing and witnessing? Um,
3: well, I knew that. You know, the Freedom Riders came through our home and stayed at our home in Montgomery, Alabama. Mm -hmm. I remember that they were doing something important because these people would come and spend a night at our house who were different colors from us, white people. Mm -hmm. The white students Mm -hmm. would come. Or Glenn Smiley was involved and he taught Daddy and Uncle Martin nonviolence and he was a white man. So I knew that our home was different because we had Mm -hmm. black and white people in our home. Uh, I don't think I really understood the magnitude until I was at the March on Washington. I just remember that I was running around out of control. and Benjamin How old Mays was were you? Then, this uh-huh. would be, let's say, this was 1963, so I was maybe four uh-huh. years old, four or five years uh-huh. old. And I was, uh-huh. remember I was just running around crazy at the March on Washington, and Benjamin Mays, stopped me and asked me if I knew what was going on. I said that I did. Of course, I didn't. I thought I did. And then he made us go and sit down on the steps. So we sat down on the steps with our dad, uh, and uh, Uncle Maude made that speech, Uh, you know, I have a dream. And I just remember my sister and I standing up and screaming when he said his four little children because... Yolanda, Martin, and Dexter and Bernice were not there, but we were there.
0: Mm-hmm, the Abernathy's mm-hmm.
3: were there. My parents always wanted to take us to have us be there to be a part, to experience. And that was a that was a tremendous day. I saw people of all different colors and I knew something was important that day. I do know that two weeks later the bomb went off at 16th Street Baptist Church and I was devastated. And I was devastated because Paulette, my mother, my father's goddaughter, uh, Aunt Eloise's daughter, who had, Aunt Eloise had gone to Alabama State with my dad. Well, Denise McNair was her first cousin's granddaughter. Mm. And she had died in that church that Sunday. And it was four little girls who were killed, but five little girls went into that bathroom. And Sarah Collins went in there with her sister. And I thought to myself, these are innocent little girls. I'll never Mm -hmm. forget sitting in West on Street Baptist Church that Sunday and sitting with my friend Judy Revia and my sister and my dad coming to the microphone and asking us to bow our heads in prayer. Well, we were at the old West Hunter at that point, which is on it was on Thomas Martin Luther King's we were on the Street.
1: Which is now Martin Luther uh-huh. King.
3: And I'll uh-huh. never forget sitting in church that Sunday. And when he said that I was devastated. I just remember he cried. I was so sad, but that afternoon while we were waiting to go waiting for Daddy to get finished from church so we could go meet the King family there was like a little alleyway between the church and the house, which was next door, which was like one of the um, parsonages of the church. It wasn't a parsonage, but it was a building that the church had had purchased. And there was this huge wall, and I remember running down that little side, that little side alleyway and freezing for fear that if I went any further, the bomb would go off because mm. I knew that I would die because I had participated in the Civil Rights Movement and my brother, who I had terrorized, my brother Ralph third, came to me and took my hand and helped me through my fear. And I'll never forget it. He was so kind to me. But I could never go to the bathroom at West Hunter Street Baptist Church. I would not go to the, ba- the public bathroom at West Hunter Street Baptist Church until my sister married her husband many years later at the new church.
2: At the new, I one, would always yes. go to my mm-hmm.
3: father's office for fear the bomb would go off.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And mm-hmm.
3: and when I went mm. to universal homeschool nursery school, every day I would urinate on myself. I could not go to the bathroom at nursery school and kindergarten because I thought the bomb would go off. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. that's that's. Uh, that was just the residual that was left with me from out of all, you know, from all of this, but um yeah, I I I think I thought I understood. I really and truly did think that I understood my parents' stress to us, what was happening. They also, you know, every time my dad would walk away cuz he talked very candidly to us about death.
0: Mm-hmm. He
3: prepared us for the day that he wouldn't come home anymore.
0: Mm -hmm. And he wanted
3: us to understand that that was a possibility. Medgar Evers had been killed in front of his family, and my dad wanted us as children to understand. And Mm -hmm. uh, so every time i said goodbye to him, I'd cry. Every time I'd say goodbye to Uncle Martin, you never knew. And then Uncle Martin, he was, my God, he was so charismatic. He was so amazing. And, you know, he used to chew his fingernails, and because he chewed his fingernails, I chewed my fingernails, too. My dad didn't chew his fingernails. But I wanted to be like Uncle Martin, you know. Uh-huh. And, of course, I was the age of the boys, not the girls. Wandlin and Yoki were much older. So, you know, I was always stuck with Marty and Ralph and Dexter. And, of uh-huh. course, with them you'd have to fight for so long with the boys. You know, they like to, you know, tussle with each other. And as a little girl, I'd have so much of that, and then I'd be tired. And then I'd go and try and find somewhere, you know, be with Wondlin and Yoki, and they might lock the door and lock me out. And so then I'd go find Daddy and I could and I could sit up under them.
2: And, and that's and what I learned a
3: whole lot. And listen. Wow.
2: Wow. You know, and, you know listening is powerful. I mean, I was from from just you retelling, and, and we can see you seeing it as just as it just happened just yesterday, you know, that's a powerful way to learn and to li- listen. We appreciate you sharing everything today. What we're going to do is just take a short break and come right back. And I'd love to know, you know, what your thoughts are about the the, the actual legacy um, and all that Dr. Um, Martin and in Doctor Ralph, David Abernathy and all so many others did. What what do you see today? Um, and maybe it's some things that you can see us do to continue to, to educate our children because I mean I was just thinking today when I, I was logging on and I have one of my home pages on one of the browsers I use is Yahoo and nothing was on there. Uh, Google. I went to Google. Nothing was on there. You know, they uh, they have a listing of top ten searches, and and nothing was on there. I literally had to go and search, and I found the History Channel. It's listed at the top page there. Um, what today is in history. So I like to know what your thoughts are. Uh, today okay. and where we are, so if we come right back after this short break. We are listening to Wealthy Sisters and our very special guest today is acclaimed actress and author Miss Dunsley Abernathy, and we'll be right back after this short break. Do you find yourself overwhelmed in paperwork? Are you struggling with administrative tasks preventing you from doing what you really love? then consider hiring a virtual assistant. Call M. Alexander & Associates, Incorporated, toll-free at 1-877-894-0564 or join them on the web at www.iwillassistyou.net.
1: Would you like to reach of professionals? Expose your products and services to thousands on a monthly basis? Advertise with the Wealthy Sisters Media Group. Our packages include both on-air and website banner placement. Call our offices today at 1-800-917-9435, extension 803, or visit our website at www.wealthysisters.com to begin building your brand today.
2: Yes, we are live back on Wealthy Sisters, and just a reminder to all of our listeners, if you haven't already, you want to go ahead and reserve your space now on the Winter Summit 2012. That's right, we are already registering, and I'm telling you, this is an amazing event that's coming up. Seats are limited. Seats are limited because we're going to cruise ship. We only got just a limited amount of seats. You can register right now for the conference early registration at the winner's com, and also you can secure your space there on the ship. We have some phenomenal packages. So go to the thewintersummit.com and get registered today. Yes, we are back alive with our very special guest, Miss Dunzalee Abernathy. And Dunzalee, I think I posed a question to you um, mm-hmm. about where you feel we are today uh, in America. And I don't want to just say uh, the state of black America, but I want to say America because 'cause we know as you, you mentioned, you you were exposed to diversity growing up because that's what what um Dr. King and Dr Abernathy fought for. So share with us your your take on that.
3: Well um honestly the thing that Daddy Nakamon accomplished the most, the most important thing was for us to earn the right to vote. And by us earning the right to vote, something that had uh, previously pretty much been denied to us. Um, In 1965, when we got the right to vote, we were able to elect black people to public office. And um, now, today, we have young people who feel that it's not important to vote, or -hmm. young people who don't value the freedom to have an education,
2: or some adults. older people too. I, you know, I well, know yeah. voted for the first yeah. time for for Barack Obama. People who in their forties and fifties, you know, I know personally voted for the first time.
3: Are you serious? Oh, that's making me really sad. Um, <laughs> yeah. But but the thing that the the thing is that um, with African Americans, with us being denied our rights uh, for so long. Now more than ever, we have to overcompensate and um, we have got to, um, you know, use, utilize those rights that we were given. Mm
0: -hmm. We
3: have got to require that our children understand our history. And I think that's the most important thing that uh, people who know their past are destined not to repeat it. So we have an obligation to educate our young people and to educate the masses of African Americans and then other racial groups as well to the sacrifices that African Americans made so that they might even have rights today. And then, like our Jewish brothers and sisters, we have got to teach our younger generation so that we value. By Jewish people, we have got to learn from Jewish people. They teach their children every Passover. That's once a year at a Passover dinner. They sit down and teach their children the history of the suffering of Jewish people in the world From the beginning to now And they have a formal Passover dinner Where they read something which is called the Haggadah Which is what we have to read to our children Not the Haggadah, but something quite similarly And let our children know the sacrifices that were made So that they understand You know what, you go to that school over there But you go to that school because people sacrifice for you to have that right I integrated the first elementary schools Mass integration in the South in 1965. I went to school with the media, angry parents, people calling us the N-word and everything. Teachers ignoring us. I mean, we went through major things just to integrate the uh, the public school system. So, but we didn't do that for parents to sit at home and to be complacent or for children to feel, well, I don't need to go to that school and learn. Right. We have an obligation to pass on to educate young African Americans so that they can be the best that they can be. Do you understand? Am I making it clear? So then you can understand the sacrifices yeah. that were made. Pardon
2: mm-hmm. me? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I no, I, I'm agreeing with you. Yes, you're correct. And you're I, making I it think right clear. now
3: that is the most important thing because in the inner city, we have young people that are killing each other,
0: mm-hmm.
3: killing each other over tennis shoes
0: over Mm -hmm. colors, Mm -hmm. over Mm -hmm. territories,
3: Mm -hmm. when we don't have anything but a few pennies Mm
0: -hmm. and nickels. Mm -hmm. We Mm -hmm. are
3: so left out of the mainstream. Our children don't even have computers to compete Mm. with the future generations of other ethnic groups. And we cannot think that somebody owes us something. My dad and Martin Luther King didn't wait for somebody to give us freedom. They went forward and created it for us. Barack Mm -hmm. Obama didn't wait for somebody to put him in the White House. He fought for it and rose up, raised the money. Now that he's there, we can't afford to have black people uh, who think that they are affluent to sit in a position and to criticize him. Mm -hmm. The Larry Elders of the world or the black so-called Republicans, excuse me, but the other day, Mm Sweetheart, you didn't have the right to vote. So now we've got to, for everyone that has gone forward, you need to lift a hand back and lift somebody else up out of that ghetto and take somebody else forward. That's why I'm one of the founders of a school, a private independent school here in Los Angeles. And I know that it's okay for me to be, you know, who I am in Hollywood, but. Every night I go to sleep, I have to remember, yes, I live on a certain side of town where on the other side of town, for me, being the one person that I am in my neighborhood, there are 10,000 of me living in the ghetto who don't have that opportunity. Therefore, Mm -hmm. I have a moral obligation, which is what my dad and Uncle Martin used to say. Remember when my dad, you know, he decided that once we could go into the different restaurants and restaurants were integrated he decided that our church had to have its banquet downtown at the Marriott Hotel. So the mm-hmm. people of the West on Street Baptist Church, those elderly ladies got an opportunity for the first time to put on their long evening gowns and to go downtown to places that were always denied to black people, but white people were only. And we'd have a big, beautiful church banquet. And he decided that, he needed to give opportunities. And our church, you know, West Honest Street Baptist Church and our community within Atlanta changed. So now the rest of America looks at Atlanta as now the Mecca for black America. And that's only because in in Atlanta you have an incredible amount of uh, African Americans who are intelligent who are reaching out and are lifting our community. And so now people are coming to Atlanta like magnets, like they used to go to mm-hmm. Harlem years ago. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, But Atlanta can't be just one place. There needs to be that same, that cohesiveness and um, intellectual center that Atlanta has with all those colleges. You need that same thing in California. You need that thing mm-hmm. in Washington. You need that in St. Louis, Missouri, in East St. Louis, where people are without hope. You need that in Michigan, where people are so impoverished. You need that in Detroit, where people are hanging on by a thread. And, um, mm-hmm. But we need to build that all the way around the country. And the only way we're going to build it all the way around the country is by first educating, I think, our young people. I think that's the mm-hmm. most important thing. They have got, I think that, you know, I guess I'm strict, but I think that after you leave school at 3 o'clock, They need to go to another school until maybe 7 o'clock, where somebody helps them with their homework, where somebody is there, where there's a community that's there, where we take the elderly of our community and put them together with the young of our community. So the parents who are working can go off and do what they need to do, but that 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 grandparent who's left with nothing can look after that young child and can build a sense of importance together, a sense of family, a sense of community to help uplift us. And then we've Mm -hmm. got to figure out how we're all in this together as opposed to separate. You know, the Latino community, the black community and the Latino community are literally killing each other. For what? For nothing, because we're the most disenfranchised of all the groups. And the question is, what are we going to do to figure out how to come together? We don't need to be fighting each other. Young Latino men don't need to be fighting black men, and black men don't need to be fighting Latino men. They need to come together. You know, we need to learn Spanish. We need to teach them how to learn English. Because if they don't learn English, they can't work. And we need to speak and Spanish so that we can understand because they are quickly becoming the majority of the population of the United States of America. Right. And then we need to figure You're out right. how to work together because, unfortunately, as it is, we are, uh, you know, historically, you know, blacks and Latinos have had these menial jobs. So, but we've got to up educate our people so that we move from these menial jobs so that we become the bankers, the lawyers, the doctors, the librarians, the teachers – You know, so that we're doing all of these things, and I didn't mean, I said librarians. Right, right, (laughs) right. But I mean, (laughs) you know, I want, um, we have to have our full share of the American dream, our part of the American pie. But in order for us to have that, we've got to uplift our young people. We have to teach our young people that, hey, guys, when your pants are hanging down low like that, that's actually prison yeah. wear. And when you wear them right. low like that, that means that you're actually interested in having anal sex with a man,
0: mm-hmm. not
3: with a woman. So gangbangers, right. pull up your pants unless, are all of you gay? No, of course you're Don't know right. what that means. Right. That means right. we need to educate them. And if we so, educated our young men, they'd pull up their pants and they'd think twice. They wouldn't have their clothes hanging off of them. And then they would realize... You know, the value of life. When we start teaching the value of life, Mm -hmm. then they won't be shooting each other up over nothing. When they understand the sacrifices.
2: Yes, I love that. The value of life and the sacrifices, you know, just um, thinking about where we are today. Like you said, we stand on some mighty big shoulders of some giants. And I always think, you know, today people talk about the recession and and so many challenges that are, are out there. And I always think I start with the Middle Passage. Um, From where, you know, our ancestors who survived that trip across the Atlantic Ocean, first of all, then we had slavery, our ancestors that survived that, and then the civil rights. So here we are today, um, you know, leading up to that civil rights, and here we are today, we are the generation of of some mighty strong people and some survivors. So I love everything that you said, you know, teaching the value of life and, and where we are And celebrating all of the efforts And the sacrifices that so many Have made for us today So we, we are so grateful To have had you on the show I want to We have about 13 minutes left And I wanted to really take this time Just to remember As we talk about um, And taking your lead in, in re-educating And re-educating And being aware of the history A lot of times Many of us have never even paid attention To the words or the speeches um, that were shared. So what I wanted to do in closing today is to play a segment of the speech from Dr. Martin Luther King's um, "Been to the Mountaintop speech, which was given on April the 3rd, and it's just such a prolific speech because it's the timing that he talks about and here the very next day was the day that we all know he passed away in your father's arms. So, Miss Abernathy, thank you so much for being our very special guest today. And um, we just celebrate you and congratulations to you. And we know that Uncle Martin and your father, Reverend Ralph, David Abernathy are so proud of you and what you are doing. And
0: not and just you, you but we know
2: you wonderful family. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you <laughs> so much. And we're going to close with this, and um, if we have a moment left, we'll come back. But thank you again. And God this, bless you. Right thank now, you for having me. Yes, thank you. This is the beginning of the segment. I've been to the mountaintop, Dr. Martin Luther King.
4: Well, thank you very kindly, my friends. As I listened to Ralph Abernathy and his eloquent and generous introduction, and uh, then thought about myself, I wondered who he was talking about. (laughs) It's always good to have your closest friend and associate to say something good about you, and Ralph Abernathy is the best friend that I have in the world. I'm delighted to see each of you here tonight, in spite of a storm warning you reveal that you are determined to go on anyhow. Something is happening in Memphis, something is happening in our world. And you know, if I were standing at the beginning of time with the possibility of taking a kind of general and panoramic view of the whole of human history up to now, and the Almighty said to me, Martin Luther King, which age would you like to live in? I would take my mental flight by Egypt. And I would watch God's children in their magnificent trek from the dark dungeons of Egypt through, or rather, across the Red Sea through the wilderness on toward the Promised Land. And in spite of its magnificence, I wouldn't stop there. I would move on by Greece and take my mind to Mount Olympus, and I would see Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, Euripides, and Aristophanes assemble around the Parthenon. And I would watch them around the Parthenon as they discussed the great and eternal issues of reality, but I wouldn't stop there. I would go on even to the great heyday of the Roman Empire. And I would see developments around there through various emperors and leaders. But I wouldn't stop
0: there.
4: I would even come up to the day of the Renaissance and get a quick picture of all that the Renaissance did for the cultural and aesthetic life of man, but I wouldn't stop there. I would even go by the way that the man for whom I'm named had his habitat. And I would watch Martin Luther as he tacked his 95 theses on the door at the Church of Wittenberg, but I wouldn't stop there. I would come on up even to 1863 and watch a vacillating president by the name of Abraham Lincoln finally come to the conclusion that he had to sign the Emancipation Proclamation, but I wouldn't stop there. And I want to say tonight, I want to say tonight that I too am happy that I didn't sneeze because if I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been around here in 1960 when students all over the South started sitting in at lunch counters. And I knew that as they were sitting in, they were really standing up for the best in the American dream and taking the whole nation back to those great wells of democracy which were dug deep by the Founding Fathers in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution if I had sneezed. I wouldn't have been around here in 1961 when we decided to take a ride for freedom and end its segregation in interstate travel. If I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been around here in 1962. The Negroes in Bennett, Georgia, decided to straighten their backs up. And whenever men and women straighten their backs up, they are going somewhere because a man can't ride your back unless it is bent. If I had sneezed, If I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been here in 1963. The black people of Birmingham, Alabama aroused the conscience of this nation and brought into being the Civil Rights Bill if I had sneezed. I wouldn't have had a chance later that year in August to try to tell America about a dream that I had had if I had sneezed. I wouldn't have been down in Selma, Alabama, to see the bread movement there if I had sneezed. I wouldn't have been in Memphis to see a community rally around those brothers and sisters who are suffering. I'm so happy that I didn't sneeze. And they were telling me,
0: now it doesn't matter now.
4: Really doesn't matter what happens now. I left Atlanta this morning and as we got started on the plane, there were six of us. The pilot said, over the public address system, we are sorry for the delay. But we have Dr. Martin Luther King on the plane, and to be sure that all of the bags were checked. And to be sure that nothing would be wrong on the plane, we had to check out everything carefully, and we've had the plane protected and guarded all night. And then I got into Memphis, and some began to say the threats. I talk about the threats that were out. Or what would happen to me from some of? that we, as a people, will get to the Promised Land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last.
2: That was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. today, 43 years ago, just the night before uh, he he gave that speech. He gave that speech the night before his passing. Uh, what a prophetic uh, time. Thank you so much, Dr. King and Dr. Ralph David Abernathy as well for all of the things you did for us today as we continue to move forward and live the dream and celebrate your sacrifice Thank you again for tuning in To Wealthy Sisters today uh, Very special guest We want to pay thanks to her As well None other than acclaimed actress and author Donzele Abernathy Who happens to be the daughter of Ralph Abernathy Thank you again to all of our listeners And to our new show producer Shout out to Miss Renelder as she continues to help our show blossom and grow. Thank you again, and we look forward to having you tune in next week where our very special guest will be Miss Rosalind Ridgway from the entertainment field as well, a multi-communications expert. Thank you, and we will see you next week. Have a powerful, productive day.
1: This has been another episode of Wealthy Sisters, brought to you by the professional black woman, turning your concepts into cash. Join Deborah Hardnet, our host next week, as she interviews another powerful, progressive, and positive sister, and visit us on the web at www.wealthysisters.com. That's www.wealthysisters.com.